You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Being a follower of Jesus is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. This is what it's like to, to walk with Jesus, to walk in life with others. It can at times be uncomfortable. It's challenging. It stretches us. And, and oftentimes, when life is difficult, we feel that there's something completely amiss, something completely wrong, something we've gotten off the path. If a relationship, uh, if we're confronted in conflict with one another, we think that, well, then we're, we're not doing it right, or this isn't a good relationship. We've got to get out of it. Uh, the good news of Jesus speaks into a culture that is increasingly individualistic and relationally stingy and speaks a message of service and sacrifice and mutual love for one another. The, the message of Jesus speaks into a culture that, that avoids conflict, avoids discomfort, and gives us a message of, of great hope in the midst of difficulty. And here is the truth. A follower of Jesus will and must be a relational burden bearer. The passage is extremely practical. It's extremely hopeful. Here is how we get there. We will see the cost of relational burden bearing. We see the the practice of relational burden bearing, and then we see the path to relational burden bearing. Why don't we walk through these together, looking at the cost of relational burden bearing. There's there's two ways a person might fail to be a, a faithful relational burden bearer, and that is through conceit and envy. That's what the Apostle Paul, the writer of this passage, shows us. We see that addressed in verse 26. Conceit is this feeling of superiority, um, that looks down on a person because of who they are, what they like, their interests, their worldview, how they're different from us. And so conceit is a, a, a feeling, a kind of an air of, of moral superiority. Envy is when a person is conscious of their own inferiority and, is, and looks up to a person for what they have, desiring what that person has and finding their self-worth and comfort and their identity not in what they do have, but in what they lack and wanting what that person has. And in different ways, uh, the, the Bible tells us that both of these ways are just different paths of seeking our own self-worth at the expense of others. Both of these ways are paths to just finding who we are and our identity in somebody else and what they have in what they can give us, in what they offer us. Both the conceited and those who envy, it's, they're people that, are, that tend to be self-absorbed and who possibly can't open up their arms than to take any burden that anybody else has to offer. We can't help one another, we can't serve one another because we're so consumed with how that person can serve us. You know, either my self-worth is found in becoming like you and having what you have, and so I'm consumed about, I'm, with the idea of accumulating things, or I'm obsessed with my, my work in order to accomplish or to acquire what, what I desire. It's, it's really consumed in what I, what I don't have. Either way, I'm, I'm giving myself to you in service and love in order to get something from you. So it's possible to be a, a consumer of relationships rather than a burden bearer, rather than to to take a burden, we, we consume the relationship. And this is a, a less than generous way to engage in friendship with people. I've heard it called transactional friendship before. It's a term that's 
helpful when you think about it. You may already know what this is, um, and when I describe it, maybe you even realize that you've had it at one time or another been the recipient of a transactional friendship, and it's been painful. Transactional friendship is when you, you evaluate a relationship based on the cost and benefit of that relationship. And the obvious problem with this is that there are times in any relationship where it will feel that the cost of that relationship outweighs the benefit. It's like calling up Verizon and saying, my bill is too high. And they say, well, there's nothing we can do about that. And you're like, well, then I'm going to go to a different cell phone carrier. And you don't feel bad about that. But we often do that in relationships. The cost of this relationship is just too, too much. And so I need to go to a relationship that's more comfortable, that's more beneficial. And if we live long enough, we will always encounter these crossroads with even our closest friends, our spouse, our, our children. <laughs> Can I get an amen? No. Um, our neighbor, our coworkers. The cost will feel as if it outweighs the benefit. And in verse 24 to 25, we see clearly the beginning of the relationship. Those who belong to Jesus and follow Jesus will treat relationships differently. When the Bible talks about friendship, when the Bible talks about relationship, it has in mind relationships that are marked by mutual generosity, serving one another, supporting one another, forgiving one another, confessing our sins to one another, strengthening one another, correcting one another, holding one another accountable, bearing one another's burdens towards the pursuit of knowing Jesus and being made more into the, the image of his likeness. And so... Now it starts to feel kind of like that family meeting, right? Maybe you even have people in your mind. Maybe you're even thinking of someone right now, relationship that is, that there's, it's filled with conflict, relationship where you're even evaluating the relationship based on what it gives you, and you are even thinking, maybe you should bail, maybe you should walk away. And some relationships are incredibly abusive, and should be, there should be boundaries that are set for those. But most of these conflicts that happen in relationship Jesus speaks into and wants us to hear that, that there is hope and there's love, there's opportunity here to see the gospel flourish not only in our lives but in the lives of those who maybe have hurt us. Whether you're introverted or extroverted or just socially awkward, who here is socially awkward? No, I know you're not going to raise your hand. Well, see, you're not. You just you failed. You raise your hand, you're not socially awkward. <laughs> you're more extroverted than you think. See, no matter who you are, we are made to experience deep and meaningful connection with others that are marked by burden bearing. And so with all kinds of relationships, there's this kind of, there's always recurrency that is needed. And that's to say that that relationship will always cost you something, right? Even if, um, well, it's at times it'll cost you many things. And sometimes it'll cost you uh, money, of course. Uh, sometimes you got to go out on a date, a double date. Sometimes you have to buy a birthday gift. Sometimes you have to spend money. You have to host a meal at your home. So, so relationships are going to cost you money, but we're not talking about the currency of, of money here. Um, the primary currency of a biblical relationship is laying down a self-absorbed life and taking up the spiritual, physical, emotional, and relational needs of another person. That's the currency laying down your life, the cost that will come from serving another person. 
the cost that will come from considering the needs of another person. Real burden-bearing will disrupt your life. Real burden-bearing will hurt. Real, like, for instance, real financial sacrifice will hurt. Real generous, biblical generous giving will be painful. A real generous uh, use of your time will cause you to have to say no to certain things in order to say yes to some things. And so real burden-bearing is the same. It will push us into situations in people's lives that are messy and are uncomfortable and disruptive. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Four Loves. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become irredeemable. And so the benefit, we think, is, is never really a benefit of avoiding those discomforts in relationship. And so following Jesus kind of welcomes us into something very different. And so there it is. Relationships are messy. Relationships are uncomfortable. But it's in this context we learn the very depths of what Jesus invites us into. And we see the love of God for us. That's the cost. Let's look at the, let's look at the practice. Here are some practical things. Okay, how do we practice this relational burden bearing in the lives of one another as we look at this passage? Well, for one, we must be committed to gentle correction, gentle confrontation. Unfortunately, this is not something that Christians do very often, and when they do it, not very well. So we are either timid and we do nothing, or we're either harsh and we just come in real annoyed, real frustrated, and we just lay down the law, right? If you don't desire to learn how to confront others, then it's possible your spiritual maturity will be truncated, be stifled. We're not learning how to be Uh, relational burden bearers. Paul sees this kind of confrontation, a practice for the spiritually mature. It's something that that as we learn and grow, we get better at doing this, and it's something that we all should aspire to do. Um, And so we don't want to shy away from burden bearing. Gentleness is the word uh, that is is used here to describe an act of restoring, kind of bringing someone back into relationship. Restoration is the fruit that comes from applying the gospel to conflict. That's the point of confrontation. That's the point of, of confrontation, to restore a person that, whose sin has disrupted a relationship. And it's a lot like putting a dislocated shoulder back in its socket. I don't think you're supposed to do it like they do it in the movies. You know, you just, they just slam themselves against the wall. I don't know, but I don't think that's the way you're supposed to do it. Um, you don't want to do it like that. Uh, I find myself having to do this a uh, handful of years ago with my my son, some of you have heard this story. He had a nursemaid's elbow, you know, kind of like the, the elbow kind of comes out of joint. And it's like, it's really painful. It's like a dead arm. It just dangles there, and, and it's not comfortable at all. And I really didn't want to pay, like, an emergency room copay, and so I went on YouTube. You know what I'm talking about. You do guys see that, right? <laughs> and uh, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't hear the doctor's instructions over the screaming of the child as, as he's trying to describe this. But you carefully go in. You carefully grab the arm. You carefully twist, you carefully lift up. And so I'm following along step by step as my son is, you know, screaming and crying. And then I hear a pop, and he just starts laughing. 
and the discomfort is gone, and uh, the range of motion has been restored, and, and he's better. See, we don't need doctors. So, so we, <clears throat> and we celebrated. Why? Because the restoration has been brought back. Restoration has been brought back. Health has been restored. When there's conflict, there's health that has been dis- disrupted within the body of Christ, within the family of God, within relationships. And we need to learn how to gently confront someone in sin in order to bring restoration, that relationship back. Um, this is a posture that we should take when someone fails, when someone sins. Uh, we're not careless. We don't neglect it. We don't ignore it. We don't dismiss it. We don't minimize it. Um, because it's a sickness that is caused by sin. And we still our minds and our nerves, and we're careful and we're skillful, and we apply the truth of what God has taught us. And if I say, well, you know what, when, when there's conflict and when I disagree with someone, I just speak my mind, that's just my personality. Um, you will more likely do harm than good to that process of restoration. If you say, well, I just don't like confrontation, then you will not engage in restoration at all, which is a rebellion against God's call to be a burden bearer. And so we have two extremes here, someone that just kind of throws their dislocated shoulder against the wall and probably tears a bunch of stuff in the process, or someone that just says, I'm just going to live with it, or, you know, I'm okay, it doesn't hurt that bad. And neither is really taking, taking to heart Jesus' desire for us to be like him, which is a burden bearer. Uh, spiritual care for others, it's not just friendly interaction, it's not just being nice, it's, not just, it's, it's loving, it's encouraging, it's engaging in the most uncomfortable parts of our life that we will experience. And you may be thinking, um, it might be hard to have a, an effective, burden-bearing confrontation of sin that you're describing on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, exactly. This is not the place of confrontation. This is not the place to speak our minds, to put people in their place. There's a warning here in verse 1 in chapter 6. If, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in spirit, spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So there's a warning here. To be a relational burden bearer is a huge risk. When we enter into relationship with other people, we're already taking a risk. And when there's conflict in that relationship and when we take a step forward to be restored with that person, we take on an even bigger risk. And there's some good instruction here by itself. And the weight of this verse, though, is really in what follows. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So what's, t- what's happening here? Let's Maybe flesh that out just a bit. When someone wrongs you and sins against you and hurts you, when, when a relationship has been disrupted and the peace within that relationship, or maybe you just observe from a distance something that you just really, really don't like about a person, Scripture says, watch yourself, be careful. Because at that moment, when you see someone sin, you are most vulnerable for falling in a ditch yourself. It's at that moment you need to be so careful. The, the word transgression isn't talking about a specific sin here. It's, it's kind of like a catch-all, like a catch-all uh, uh, category. Um, 
speaking of anything that just rubs you the wrong way, anything that is against the character and nature of God, anything that you look at and say, I don't like that about that person, that bothers me. Be careful. At that moment, you are most vulnerable to fall into a moral ditch. You know, think of the last person who did something or said something that, that really bothered you, that really hurt you, that really rubbed you the wrong way, that really offended you and made you hurt. Are you thinking about the car ride in this morning to church? <laughs> Maybe it was even that recent. Maybe it was yesterday or this week. Maybe, you know, there's that, that narrative, that story, that, that video that just keeps replaying in your heart about that relationship that just is never restored. Think of the person who sinned against you or who sinned against a person you care about. Think about the person you just observed from a distance and hated their behavior. Maybe you've never met them. You just saw them online or you heard a story about them. Watch your heart. Why? Because sin is subtle in our hearts. When we see another person fall into sin, sin cleverly works in our hearts to make us proud and preoccupied with our self-piety. When we see someone else sin, we usually don't think, oh, I've done that so many times. Usually we say, I wouldn't do that. That person needs to get their act together. I'm so glad I'm not like that person. But what sin does, where we are tempted is to think, and it's so subtle, it's so careful, it's so crafty. Sin is so crafty in our hearts to make us not think about our need for God's mercy and grace but how that person doesn't meet up to our standards. And it's at that moment we open a door to Satan tempting us and having his way in our hearts. And so when we need to confront someone, it's best to season our hearts with prayer so that when we confront a friend, it would not be done in haste or unprocessed passion or with the wrong motive, but with a desire to restore and so we, we look to restore with gentleness. Here's another way, another practice of, of being a burden bearer. Seek to understand and serve others more than to be understood and to serve. So the author of Galatians, uh, Paul, he very vivid, vividly teaches how a Christian ought to relate to others. Um, it is a shift from this consumer mentality of relating to one another, right? Like using people and then just kind of moving on from relationship to relationship when there's conflict. Um, moving from this mentality of what benefit can you be to me and looking instead to fulfilling the law of Christ in our relationship. Uh, a way of describing this kind of biblical um, relationship that we ought to have with one another is um, the law of Christ. Bearing the burdens of others is precisely the good news. It's precisely the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the supreme burden bearer. When we fail to serve others, especially when they sin, we are at that moment, moment least like Jesus. Because Jesus is our burden bearer. Jesus is the one that comes. He initiates with us. He moves towards our sin. He bears our burdens. He takes our guilt and our shame. He dies on the cross for our sins. He who was sinless became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the very definition of the gospel, the very premise of what it means to know and follow Jesus is to understand Jesus as a burden bearer. Each of us, you and I, have transgressed against God and his commands. We've sinned. We've all had the need to be restored in a relationship with God that went terribly wrong. 
And this sin has become a burden to us that we cannot carry on our own. In fact, it's impossible to carry. It has crushed us. It would be eternally fatal for us. It is a weight and a boulder of weight so enormously heavy that no amount of help that could come to us from another person could take it off. And we're crushed under the weight of it. But God, who is rich in mercy, laid that burden, that weight, that sin on his son Jesus. He came not to be served, he came to serve. And so the law of Christ is summed up in this, love your neighbor. Why would the law of Christ be summed up in the phrase love your neighbor? Because Christ is the ultimate example of this kind of love who bore the sins of his enemies on the cross. We seek to bear the burdens of others not because it's a rule to follow, but because of Jesus, because of a relationship that we desire, because of a person, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins. You'll see this common principle in our passage referred to as you reap what you sow. And it's preceded by this reality in verse 3 that states, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, don't act like a hero when in fact you're a zero. Sounds really harsh, right? Let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, This is the law of Christ. Because of sin, we become zeros. And I don't mean zeros in worth and value and dignity in the image of God. I mean zeros in our ability to work our way into a relationship with God based on our own work. Don't act like you can do a lot of things when in fact you can do nothing. Don't act like a hero when you are a zero. To be a real hero, look at the the real hero, Jesus Christ, became a zero. Jesus Christ, who, who came from glory, emptied himself of his own rights to become nothing a humble servant, even to the point of death on the cross. He became a great burden bearer, a great guilt taker, our great shame remover, so that we would be given the favor of a real hero. In fact, we are zeros, but we are treated as a hero. And Jesus, the real hero, becomes a zero. This is the gospel. This is the good news. It is this great reversal don't act like you are something when in fact you are nothing. And so we don't, we don't act as if this favor and blessing that has come to us from God is something that has been earned by our own right. We treat others with the same grace that we know that we need every single day. That is why when we fail to bear the burdens of a fellow brother or sister in Christ, it is an act of mocking God and turning our nose up against him. And Paul says, do not mock God. He is not deceived. Stop pretending. And when we do not seek to bear the burdens of others who have sinned, we are turning our nose up against God and mocking him and acting as if his mercy came to us because of our good. Relational burden bearing is manifested in these small acts of seeing all that we have as a gift from God and seeking opportunities to serve and be a blessing to those who need it. Another way to practice this relational burden bearing is to know what burdens you must carry yourself. And so this is, we need to get to this part because our passage addresses it. Sometimes you can be a helpful burden bearer and not what you, uh, not what, what, what burden you take from others, but what burdens you keep for yourself. 
Let me explain that. For instance, if I'm sick, it would be an act of burden bearing to not cough in my hand and then shake your hand at the greeting time. That's just a public service announcement. <laughs> right? It's just, uh, look, I used hand sanitizer before it was cool, okay? Um, how can we bear the burdens of others? Some of it is not just in like how I help you, but how I'm responsible for the things that I can be responsible for in my own life. Look at the paradox between verse 2 and verse 5 in our passage. And this is strange here. Would you just acknowledge its strangeness? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. For each of you will have to bear your own load. What the? What? Like, wait, which is it? Am I supposed to bear your burdens or am I supposed to bear mine? Doing either of those exclusively is not good. If I'm only, always just taking care of all of your problems, that's not good. If I'm only, only, ever only taking care of mine and never needing help, that's not good either. So what's happening here? What, make up your mind. Which is it? It's not a contradiction. There's something good here. Do not abuse the relational burden bearing of others. When Paul says, let each one test his work, see this in verse 4, let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. This is a heads up for those who wish, to be a, who wish not to be accountable for their own sins. And when confronted in sin, say, well, what about grace? What about you loving me? What about you bearing my burdens? I thought we were a family. I thought we were friends. What about you just forgiving me for what I did? This is a wake-up call for anyone who is not desiring to take accountability and be responsible for their sins in their relationships. If we're caught in sin, there's a temptation for Christians to say, well, what about grace? What about bearing my burdens? What about forgiveness? What about what you can do for me? It's like saying, I didn't, I didn't punch that person. They ran into my fist. You know, the, the circumstances kind of motivated me. It wasn't my fault. God gives to each of us particular responsibilities and calls each of us individually to walk a path of obedience with him. There is something very communal about obviously being a part of God's family, and yet there's something that he calls us to individually, to be stewards of our time, to be stewards of our money, to be stewards of our emotions, to be stewards of our relationships, he has called each of us to be obedient. And that is your load to carry, not anyone else's. Some have even described this as boulders and backpacks, right? There's boulders in our life that we need help lifting up. And then there's backpacks that we need to carry on our own back. It's the difference between a burden and a load. It's not a contradiction because Paul is talking about two different kinds of burdens. Burdens that God has given to us to carry on our own and burdens that we need help with. Um, God, am I doing all, here's some questions we could think about. Am I doing all that God has asked me to do? Am I carrying my own burdens in a way that pleases God? Am I dealing personally with my personal sins before the Lord in ways that please Him? Am I taking responsibility for the, for the faults in my life? Am I relying too heavily on others as an excuse for my own procrastination of obedience. 
And so there are some great ways that we can practice this burden bearing, not only in the ways that we help others, but also in the way that we take responsibility for our own sins. And then finally, let's look at this path to relational generosity. You know, this path is, is found in this common analogy that Paul uses that would have made sense to any person in the first century reading this. Uh, it was a situation of a farmer sowing seeds that bore a desired harvest. One of my projects uh, a few years ago was to design and build a small garden in our yard. And there was a time I spent several hours, right, preparing the soil, getting organic soil, designing and constructing the layout, making sure the irrigation and the water was all put in the right place. I got some, some great stuff and, and, and just found the perfect place in the yard where it was, like, sunny most of the time and shaded for part of the day. I'm really excited to eat those organic tomatoes. I'm really excited for the carrots and the kale. I happen to like kale. Um, that's my burden to bear. Um, and... I want some radishes and some green leaf lettuce for the winter. I just want this nice little thing, right? And after completing this garden, several weeks go by and nothing. You know, I'm looking at the packages and it's like 12, 7 to 12 days I should see something and nothing. Can you guess why? The seeds are still in the little pouch that I bought from the store. You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Just safe in the kitchen cupboard, right? I, just, I forgot that one little detail. It doesn't matter how much you love a garden or how much you love the sweet taste of a nice ripe tomato fresh from your garden. It's not coming without the seeds being planted. It doesn't matter how much you want healthy relationship. It doesn't matter how much you value authentic community. If we don't sow those seeds, it will never come. How do we become relational burden bearers? We remember the burden that was once carried by Jesus that was lifted off of our soul. The guilt, the shame, the loneliness, the lack of purpose, that burden that was lifted, the life that was given, the favor that was given to us, the love, the constant desire for approval and affirmation that we seek, God lifted that burden and said, you do not need to prove yourself. You do not need to work yourself into my favor. You have everything that you need in my love for you. We look to Jesus as the perfecter and the hero of our faith. The hero who became a zero. And we then sow these seeds because the seed of the gospel was planted in our hearts. And Paul says it will grow into a harvest of eternal life. And so we need to plant and sow those same seeds in, in our life, in our relationships with others. We can bear the burdens of others now with a new motive. Not out of envy, not out of conceit, but out of a love of God that has changed us. Out of a harvest reality that has, that has the fruit that has born, been born in our own life. We have been accepted because Jesus was rejected. We've been forgiven because he bore the weight of our, the, God's wrath for sin. We have been welcomed into friendship because he bore our burdens. And so we can have courage to plant these seeds in relationships, to be a burden bearer with others. This is what he has called us to, and the, the opportunities are countless. There may even be an opportunity today to bear the burdens of someone else. There may even be an opportunity for you to bear and carry your own load when needed. And it takes maturity as we grow and figuring out the difference between the two. But God has given us time, he's given us one another, and he's given us his mercy